Well, hey, welcome to H2O. If you don't know me, my name is Joe. I am one of the pastors here. So excited to have you guys here with us today. And hey, give it up for some of you in your first week of college. You made it, made it, yeah, great. Yeah, very excited for you and excited just to walk with you uh, this, this school year. And we pray, yeah, we just pray God teaches you a lot through um, our community and meeting together here. And so uh, I shared with this last week at our kickoff, but just to introduce us a little bit, our mission as a church is to love God and love Athens. And this mission really goes to the heart of every single thing that we do. And we hope, and our hope and our desire is to spread the message of Jesus here. We believe people are seeking fulfillment and purpose, and we believe ultimately the way people are going to find that is to, is to meet Jesus and to seek to become more like him. And specifically, that last line that I said, seeking to become more like Jesus, shouldn't just be a tagline. It should be something that describes who we are as Christians. This is a journey that we are all going through. And the word that we use to describe this journey of becoming more like Jesus is discipleship. And, and, and again, maybe you've heard that word, discipleship, um, and it's, it's more than just a buzz word. It's something that we as Christians should know and something that we as Christians should pursue. And if I was to def define discipleship, I would define discipleship as the process of becoming more like Jesus, the process of becoming more like Christ. And we, we as Christians are called to be Jesus' disciples. Another word for discipleship is apprentice, that we are learning from our master and modeling our lives after him. You know, I've been thinking a lot as a parent lately about the correlations between discipleship and raising children, and I have two kids, Abigail and Eli, um, which you might have heard Eli uh, crying during worship. Yes, they're very cute. Thank you. They get their good looks from their mother. Um, and and they're, that wasn't a knock at me. I'm just being honest. They're really cute. So <laughs> she's very pretty. So there you go. Uh, and um, it's interesting when you become a parent because you start to notice just, just how your kids learn things. And your kids, you know, kids are taking in so much information. Um, and, you know, maybe not so much Eli. He's just excited to see you. And so if he sees you, he's just going to smile. And that's amazing because he recognizes you. Um, but, but more so my daughter, Abigail. And it's, it's so cool with Abigail. She's two now and she's entering the season where she's just mimicking our words and just, you know, repeating things that we say, even without our prompting, you know. And even the other day, my wife was making breakfast and, and she took out a blender and Abigail pointed at it and said, blender, blender. We're like, how the heck do you know that? Jeez, you're a genius. This is amazing. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's because she's taking in information. She's learning things. And I think for us as Christians, we need to be like my daughter, Abigail. And you should be like Eli. You should smile at people. That's a good tip for your life. You should smile. People will like you. But especially Abigail, we should be learning as Christians from our master, Jesus. We should be modeling his behavior, reading the gospels, and, and, and saying, how can I grow to look more like Christ? And what's amazing about discipleship, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a Christian for 20 years. You don't have to go through a 12-step program. You just have to follow Jesus. Jesus calls you and says, follow me. And all we have to do is respond and say, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. And he will teach you all that you need to know. You know, in the early church, when the first Christians were meeting and gathering together, they didn't call themselves um, Christians. In fact, the word they used to describe themselves was the word the way 
to describe the path that they were following, and they were following this Jesus. And so the term Christian kind of was used as a, l- a little bit of a way to make fun of Christians. It was used by other people. And in Greek, the word Christian means little Christ. And so what people were saying was, wow, this group of people, they look, they're trying to look like this guy Jesus, and they're looking so much like him, they're like a mini Jesus. And the name stuck because I think it's so appropriate to how we should live and that people should look at your life and say, wow, you are kind of trying to be like Jesus. And you're like, yeah, because I'm a Christian. That's what I'm trying to do. And, and that should be the goal of us for us as a church. And I hope that we could be a church that people could look at us on this campus and in the community and say, wow, that group of people looks like Jesus. Wow, they love me radically. And, and man, and, and that should be the hope that people would say that about you and that they would see that in us as a community. And so for us as a church, as we were planning, uh, you know, sermon series for this year, we just felt like this theme of discipleship and becoming more like Jesus was something we wanted to highlight on. And we wanted to really focus on being a church that's focused on discipleship. And so to, in order to do that, Together as a church, we're going to be going through this series, and we're launching this new series today on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it, if you're not familiar, it's one of Jesus' most famous sermons throughout any point in the Bible and in the Gospels. And it's been quoted time and again. People have um, learned so much from this. Even non-Christians like Gandhi have quoted from the Sermon on the Mount. And I think this sermon applies so much to us in our modern world, especially for us who are you know, on campus here, that I think it applies to all the different things that we are going through. And then Jesus explains how to live in his kingdom, how to live radically different. And Jesus will t- we'll see that Jesus will touch on this series, the idea of you know, understanding anxiety, lust, understanding money, understanding how to pray, how to live like Jesus And today, specifically, how to understand how to be blessed and understand blessings. And so, you know, this series, as we go through it, you'll see it's challenging. But you'll see today it is very counter-cultural to how our world lives and operates. But you will see it is timeless. And it accurately describes how we as Christians are, are to live. And it's not just things that we're supposed to learn or do. It is this series will share about who we are, who we are as Christians. It defines who we are. It's the bar for what we are seeking to live for. And I, again, I believe if we as a church here at H2O would engage with this message, I, I think we will see a powerful movement of Jesus in this community. And again, hopefully people will say, wow, they look like Jesus. And so that's the hope for this series. And so um, before we dive into that, I want to just pray for us. I want to pray for our series. And so pray with me. Lord, we just pray for this series. We just pray you would do a tremendous amount of things in our hearts that we would listen to this message, that it would transform us, Jesus, from the inside out, and that we would look at the series, not a list of do's and don'ts, but simply as a call to follow you that that would be the continued message, that we would follow you and and hear from you and respond to you in all that we do. And so lead us, Jesus. Lead the words that I have to say and all the things that we're going to talk about in this series the next few weeks. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can flip to Matthew chapter 5. The next few, again, next few weeks in the series, we're going to be only in three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we felt like 
we wanted to do something a little bit special during this series. Each week, uh, we'll pretty much only be covering about 10 verses, and so we thought it'd be really helpful before we dive into the passage to actually read through it together. And so I've asked Abby to uh, read through the passage, give up for Abby, and uh, as soon as you're ready, why don't you start us off? So Matthew 5, and then verses 1 through 12, and if you have your Bibles, great. If not, you can read along on the screen. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you. Give it up for Abby, everybody. All right, so our first section that we're talking about today is the Beatitudes. And so the Beatitudes is a transliteration of the word blessed or blessings. And, and what Jesus is hitting at here is doing these things does not necessarily mean you'll be happy, but there is a blessing or a spiritual re reward that is earned when we pursue these things. The reward for these behaviors is the natural result. Example, thirsting for righteousness will result in you becoming more righteous because you're seeking these things, and God will transform your heart to be more righteous. And so I want to open just, just understanding this section just with a question for you. If somebody came up to you or let's say a friend or a family member asked you this question, what would you say? If somebody asked you, how can I live a blessed and happy life? How can I live the blessed life? What would be your response? What would you say? Would you say, hey, you need to marry the right person? Have kids, get a good job, have the, cover, have the government pay off your college debt. That was a joke, not trying to be political, just saying. <laughs> what would you say? I can tell you what our society says. Whatever you want. Whatever you define that makes you happy, go and pursue that. Self-actualization, right, for my education majors. Here's what's interesting about that. We live in a world, more than every, any other time in history, where people have said that, do whatever you want. Pursue whatever it is that makes you happy. And isn't it true that we are less happy and less fulfilled and less blessed than any other time in history? Am I wrong? We live in a world that is completely self-serving. And, and, and something is clearly wrong. And if we don't get what we want, we tend to have a fit, right? We tend to get upset. And our world crumbles beneath our feet. You know, I came across this online. Someone was talking about the Beatitudes. 
and they wrote out a list of things that would describe uh, if the world wrote a Beatitudes or reverse Beatitudes. And I'm just going to read through a couple of them. There's a bunch of things they said, but here's a couple of things that they said that would describe how the world would define blessings. Happy are the achievers, for they are the champions of this life. Happy are those with hearts of stone, for they never let life hurt them. Happy are those who complain, for they get their own way in the end. Happy are the lazy, for they never worry. Happy are the merciless, for they enforce their justice. Happy are the selfish, for they please themselves. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in this life. Man, and we wonder why we're so miserable. We wonder why mental health is a mess. We need help. You know, for us as a church, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who's come in the flesh, that he made you, he designed you. And so if God made you, then he, we would say he knows you probably better than you know yourself, right? If, he, if he's the designer, if he's the ultimate person who made us, then we can trust in the words he has to say, Right? We can trust that he knows the path that's going to lead to greatest fulfillment. If Jesus is God and he created us, we would assume this to be true, right? And here's what Jesus does. He flips these worldly blessings on their head. He says, you actually receive blessing when you don't put yourself first. It's better that you give than receive. It's better to consider the needs of others over yourself. It's better to die to yourself in your interest, and it's better to surrender. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Jesus is communicating that humility and surrender leads to true joy and happiness. Desperation, in a way, for God to move leads to more joy and more fulfillment in our lives. Because we would say, that's how you were designed. God made you that way. Philip Yancey, in his excellent book called The Jesus I Never Knew, which I would encourage you to check it out, great book, um, he talks about this, and he says, God's kingdom turns the tables upside down. The poor, the hungry, the mourners, the oppressed truly are blessed. Not because of their miserable states, of course. Jesus spent, spent much of his life trying to remedy those miseries. Rather, they are blessed because of an innate inward advantage they hold over those who are more comfortable and self-sufficient. These qualities point to a heart of desperation, and what we'll see even throughout this series to back up a little bit is that Jesus is concerned about your heart. That is what he's after, not just your external actions, but your actual starting in your heart, because that's where transformation happens from the inside out. And so we hope in this series that you would feel that and understand that and allow Jesus into your heart and into your life and allow him to transform you. And hopefully you don't feel shame, but hopefully you feel challenged. And hopefully you, you feel in a place where you can say, man, Jesus, I, I, I need help and, and seek to follow him and to become more like him. 
And so that's kind of a bigger picture idea of, of these Beatitudes. And so we're going to break down the passage here. And in order to help you make this not feel like a nine-point sermon, I've kind of recategorized some of the Beatitudes. So know this, Jesus is more right than me in how he organized this sermon. But I, but I felt like it was, it, was, it was very helpful that there was a way to connect them um, in order for me to not feel like I'm repeating myself. Um, but there's really three categories that I would break some of these Beatitudes up into. And they are how to pursue God how we should act towards others, and how we handle suffering. So how we should pursue God as Christians, how we should act towards others, and then how we handle suffering. And then I'll explain where I'm breaking things up too. And know this, that Jesus is right, not me, and how he organized this. So number one, how we should pursue God. And we'll start in verse one. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, so we'll stop there. So this passage starts with Jesus meeting with the crowds and turning to his disciples and starting to share with them these truths. And he starts with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Philip Yancey, again, uh, says about this that um, I do not believe the poor to be more virtuous than anyone else, but they are less likely to pretend to be virtuous. And so what Jesus is doing, he's not necessarily praising poverty or lack of spiritual understanding, but he's, he's, he's pointing out a desperation, that there's something that happens in our heart. The poor in spirit are those who recognize their need for God's help. God's kingdom belongs to those who confess their spiritual bankruptcy. God isn't concerned what's in your bank account. He's concerned about what's in your heart. And I've seen people that the world would consider very rich who live this way, who live very generously and open-handed in how they live. And I've seen people who are more in poverty that would, I, I would say are, can be more greedy and in a place where they're not living this way. And so, again, it's not your bank account. It's your heart. It's how does your heart act towards God? Do you say, I need you? God, I need you to move in my life? And when we approach our spiritual life, we should approach it with this desperation. Building off of that, verse 4, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, this would refer to people that are experiencing difficult times, mourning, pain. And God has a comfort that he has to offer. You know, a few years ago, I was going through uh, the, this, the Beatitudes with a friend, and we were walking through it together. And my friend said to me, which was a, a, very, a very kind way of asking, he just said, you know, Joe, this verse is hard for me, because I know a lot of people going through a really difficult time in their lives. And they're going to God, but they're not feeling any better. And while we were talking about it, it we, we were just sharing about it, and I just said, you know, um, I think it's important to know what this passage is saying is that when you mourn, Comfort doesn't mean your pain goes away. It just means that Jesus is walking beside you in your pain and in your grief. And I know this from personal experiences. Uh, Before uh, we had our first child, uh, my wife and I, we had a miscarriage. And it was one of the hardest seasons of our life. And it's something that at times still stings. You know, it's, it's one, again, it was a very difficult experience to go through. But in the midst of that, we felt like Jesus was walking beside us that he was comforting us, that he was with us on that painful journey. 
recently um, a, f- a friend of ours uh, lost her husband, and it was really unexpected, and, and, and we went to go see her, and she shared the same sentiment, and she talked about how difficult, obviously, it was losing her husband. But in the midst of that, she felt like um, Jesus was with her, and she was being comforted by his spirit, that she wasn't walking alone. And so when we mourn, when we go through trials and difficulties, we need to embrace it and feel it and allow God to walk beside us on that journey. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Again, building off of that, jumping down a little bit to verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Just like we get hungry and thirsty for food, we should hunger for God's truth. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness rejoice that God is the ultimate source of real righteousness. So they long for his righteous character. And they seek it, and it is evident in these people's lives. I have a, a friend, he's a pastor of a church, and um, once a month their whole church gathers for a time of worship and prayer, and they call that event Hunger and Thirst. And, and I, th- I think it's so appropriate that for them as a church, that's how they operate with seeing and pursuing God. And I hope for us, we can be a church that pursues God, that hungers for it, that that would be a part of our desire. And through that, that we would be, see satisfaction, that you would hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jumping down to verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So the pure in heart are those who pursue a clean heart and mind. And, and they, they recognize that if, if they pursue purity, they will see God. That's a guarantee. And ultimately, this comes through confession of sins, through cleaning out our life. You know, the Bible talks about how if we don't confess sin, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, that there could be a distance between us and God because of our sin. And seeking purity is acknowledging that and saying, Lord, forgive me, and and wiping away those things. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us, clean us from all unrighteousness. So if we're pure in heart, we should be confessing our sins and also aware of what we're taking in. What are we taking in on our phone? What are we taking in when we watch TV? What are we saying? What are the words that we say to other people? The pure in heart will see God. We need to be aware of these things and to seek purity. So again, that category was is how we pursue God. Those, those are the three things, you know, pure in heart, hunger and thirst, and a poor in spirit. And building off of that, now how do we redirect our attention towards others? How, how should we as Christians act towards others? Well, verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you look up the word meek, you're going to get a bunch of different definitions. Um, So listen to my definition over some of those other ones. Uh, But but meek can mean gentle. And according to D.A. Carson, uh, he says, uh, meekness means controlled desire to see that others' interests advance ahead of your own. And so it's, it's putting other people first. We live in a competitive world. It's a dog eat dog world. But true happiness comes through humility. True happiness comes through seeking others' interests over yourself. And if this is true, you should seek 
to help benefit others. If people see that you're benefiting yourself, they're going to see right through that. But if you seek to serve others in their interests, you'll have more joy and greater influence. And for us as leaders, we need to pursue this. If you want to be a great leader, you need to be somebody that serves the people that you work with. Again, people will see your meekness and you'll have even more influence than you ever thought you ever could. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This message occupies a lot of Jesus' teachings with showing mercy to others. And uh, we're going to cover this um, in the next few weeks a a little bit in more detail, but I will cover it a little bit now. Um, Here's the thing. When you give mercy, you receive it. What goes around comes around. And this does not mean you are called to be a doormat or just let others take advantage of you. But this is getting to a place where, hey, if somebody sins against us and they say, hey, I'm sorry that we forgive them, this is the marks of a Christian. And it doesn't mean that your relationship has to be what it was before. It might have to be redefined. There might have to be some real boundaries that are there. But a part of the gospel is that Jesus has forgiven you of a debt you could not repay, more than your student loan debts, whatever those end up being. And you could not repay that. And Jesus has forgiven you. And so the marks of a true Christian is somebody that forgives. And, and, and again, shows mercy. It doesn't mean you have to say, man, that was right. I'm just going to, you know, and forget about all that. We don't forgive and forget. But we're in a place where we release bitterness. I've heard it said one time that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. So often people live in that way. We need to show mercy. Because Jesus has shown us mercy. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. One of Jesus' titles is the Prince of Peace. And we as disciples should be peacemakers like him. And ultimately not seek out conflict or division. Now this doesn't mean we're called to be pacifists. There's times where peacemakers actually have to bring about peace by entering into conflict and bringing about peace. You know, I love history, and I think often about World War II. You know, and brave men and women stood up to the Nazis and Hitler and said, this is wrong, and brought peace and did something about it. Peacemakers see injustice and say, that's wrong, and try to make it right. You know, as, as a father and as a parent, if somebody wanted to hurt my family, I would step in and bring peace to the situation. Maybe peace wouldn't happen to me, but the the hope would be that peace would happen for them. Judges are peacemakers because they bring justice on evil. And as a pastor in my personal life, I've had to step into situations where, you know, roommates aren't talking or there's there's just major conflict between family members and, and to try to bring about peace. And again, it doesn't mean you don't say to somebody, hey, that really hurt my feelings when you did that, or hey, you know, that's not what this is talking about. But we should not be people that are constantly falling into conflict. We should be people that are seeking to be people of peace. This is our desire. This is how we become peacemakers. And so that's how Jesus is calling us to act toward others. Finally, how should we handle suffering? Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's the thing. The reality of being a Christian is that at some point in your life, if you say, I'm a Christian, people won't like you. People, in fact, hate Christians. And they hate the way they live. And Jesus said this before he was about to be crucified in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me, Jesus, before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Let's not forget, we serve a Savior who was murdered on the cross for the things he did and said. And it is a guarantee that there will be trials and persecutions. And so the question we should ask ourselves, if we're followers of Christ, have I ever been challenged for my faith? Have I ever experienced persecution for my faith? And this doesn't mean that we, you know, try to puff ourselves up and, and, and to shame other people and, and all those things and mock others and try to be self-righteous. No, that's, that's just being a jerk. But there are times where you might say everything right, you know, cross, you know, everything that you need to say and, and cross every T, dot every I, whatever it is that you want to do. And uh, there's still going to be times where people don't like you. And there's been plenty of times where I've met people and coworkers who said they didn't like Christians, and then they meet me, and I tell them I'm a Christian, and, 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 and they ask me all these questions, and they've been like, wow, I didn't know you believed that. Wow. And there's like a surprise that comes when they meet somebody that actually wants to look like Jesus. And there's going to be plenty of times where that happens, and hopefully that does happen a lot in your life. But again, there's still going to be times where people push against you. And wonder why you aren't living the life that they're living. Not participating in certain things. And again, if we're not experiencing any trials, we should ask ourselves, am I living for Christ or for the world? Because we are called to stand apart. The Apostle Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, that we as Christians are the aroma of Christ. To God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death to death, the other a fragrance of life. And so what Paul is saying here, that some of us, and how, how, how we live as Christians, to some people, we're going to come off as a fragrance of life, a beautiful fragrance. Because they're going to see Jesus and say, oh man, I want that. But to some people, a fragrance of death. Because we are living countercultural to the world. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. That we are citizens of heaven, that we are ambassadors for Christ. And again, this will come with difficulty and at times persecution. In 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, the Apostle Peter says this, Blessed, uh, beloved, do not be surprised at fiery trial when it comes upon you or tests you, as though something strange is happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So what this is saying here is that if we experience trial and suffering, we are experiencing and participating in Christ's suffering. We're sharing in that. 
And this is the marks of a Christian. Jesus promises that his kingdom will come and that, that he will be with us, even in those trials and suffering. These are the ways we can be blessed. Now, stepping back from this for a moment, I think, you know, looking at this list, hopefully, again, you don't feel shame, but hopefully you do feel challenged. And there might be moments where you feel like, man, how can I do this? If this is what a Christian's supposed to be, I don't do this. I fall short of this. Welcome to the family. In the midst of this, again, discipleship starts with just saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. And why we follow Jesus is because Jesus is these things. Jesus was and is these things. Christ was poor in, poor in spirit. Christ mourned. Jesus was meek. Jesus hungered and thirsted for righteousness. Jesus was merciful. Jesus was pure in heart. Christ is a peacemaker. Jesus is the Son of God. Christ, above anyone else, was persecuted for righteousness' sake, was reviled, and people uttered all kinds of evil against him falsely. He is the blessed one. And so if he is the blessed one, then all we have to do is say, Jesus, help me, and follow him. That is our calling as disciples, that we would follow in the, in the way of our master. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then con um, confess with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In this difficulty, as we're following Jesus, we need to approach him, approach the throne of grace, and seek his help. He is the blessed one. He lived the perfect life that you should have lived, fully in fulfillment of these beatitudes, and died the way that we should have died, not in fulfillment of these things. And so because of him, if we, if we say, I believe in you, Jesus, we can be made new, and we become blessed. And so that, that's our hope as we close out today, that we would, we would turn to Jesus and just follow him. And so as we close today, I want to just ask you two questions for you to think about, and we're going to enter into a time of worship. Um, but during that time of worship, I really want you to reflect on these two questions. Um, and, and these two questions are, what do I sense God saying to me? In this message, as we open this word, what do you feel like God was telling you and saying to you? And then second, what am I, I going to do about it? You're hearing from God. What are you going to do to respond to him? We would encourage you to really take this in and pray and ask God to help you. And, and, and hopefully we would be a church that follows him and looks more like him. So with that, let's pray. Lord, we come and we just say thank you for leading us here as a church. Lord, we just pray for this message just to fill our hearts. That we would seek to trust you, Lord, because you made us and you saved us. We pray, Jesus, that we would receive your word. And that we would learn how to live the truly blessed life. Not of this world, but following you. So we pray all this in your name. Amen.